Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season five of Phone Calls with Clever People. We've been taking a little break as I was writing and releasing my brand new book, Let's Talk Culture, the conversations you need to create the team you want. And it is now available in all good bookstores and online. We're kicking off season five with a bang because I am joined by the delightful Kim Kaup to talk to us about showing up online. Kim told me that people can know you, N-O, before they know you, K-N-O-W, because of how we show up online. Today, I give her a call to talk about what we need to know about positioning ourselves in this globally connected society we're living in. Joining me on the phone is Kim Kaup. In January 2020, at age 34, she kicked off a tour with Oprah. Yep, Oprah. While juggling clients like Paul McCartney, the New York Mets, Ace Comic Con, and Shawn Mendes. In those nine years, she learned how to go from zero clients to Oprah. From no one knowing who she was, to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. From not knowing what an LLC was, to securing offers from four out of the five sharks on Shark Tank. Kim describes herself as an accidental entrepreneur. And now she works with executives and future leaders to harness their voice and image to expand their network. She dusts off the ordinary to reveal the extraordinary in her clients whose perceived value in the workplace doesn't match the actual value that they bring to the table. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Kim, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Thanks for having me, Shane. Excited to be here. I have um, a really interesting story of how I stumbled across you, and I want to share that in a few moments. But um, we always start the show with three fast facts, which is where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? I was born in West Palm Beach, Florida in the United States. My first job, my first job was an internship at a local magazine. I loved magazines. I still love magazines. I still get them in the mail. And what am I doing now? I am running not one, but two companies because during the pandemic, I thought it was a perfect time to start an entirely new company, which is just beyond me. I, you would have thought one was enough, but now I'm running two. So one is a marketing agency called Brand Ideas Only. And the other one is a consultancy business that I run as well as doing a podcast and keynote speeches. So that one is just a bunch of fun too. That's amazing. I mean, are you are you the kind of person that just asks yourself, how do I make my life more difficult? Is that is that one of the questions you're constantly asking? And you thought, you know what, I'm going to start another business during a pandemic. That seems like a great way to punish myself. You know what's so funny? I actually started it on accident. And what I mean by that is I started to help out friends during the pandemic. People were asking, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And it was actually my husband who after a while was like, I think this is a business. And I was like, it's not a business. I just, I'm helping out friends during the pandemic, it's fine. And he's like, but you keep getting asked to keynote and you you know, you know, keep getting asked to do these things. And I'm like, it's gonna die down. You know, It was just this <laughs> one-off thing. And he's like, it doesn't seem to be a one-off thing. And then finally I had to go, you're right. It, do- it doesn't seem to be a one-off thing. I think I need to properly make this uh, a business. So build out a website and yeah, did the, did the whole nine yards and it's been really fun ever since. 
it's always interesting. There, there's the the transition from friend to friend tour to business, and you eventually start to realize all the things that people pick your brain on. You're like, oh my gosh, I could actually do this in a kind of more commercial way. Exactly, and I just realized, you know, I can't scale myself. I found that I was helping lots of different friends or friends of friends with the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I finally got to the point where I was like, wait a second, <laughs> I should systemize this in a way that feels more scalable. I've heard you describe yourself as a bit of an accidental entrepreneur across your entire journey. Um, what, what do you mean by an accidental entrepreneur? How do you fall into this thing? I feel like the narrative around entrepreneurship and leadership really is that you're, you're born with it. You know, we hear these great leaders, whether it's Mark Cuban or Elon Musk going to the moon. And I was always that way as a kid. I was always an entrepreneur. I sold candy in the back of the bus or I had a lawn mowing business by age eight. And we sort of get this narrative that you must be born with it. You must have this innate need for leadership and growth. And I say that because I did not. I wanted to work at corporate. I wanted to clock in at nine and clock out at six and have my two weeks vacation. Like that was my dream. I wanted to work at a publishing company in New York City and I did that and that's what I accomplished. And so I think it's important to tell that story because I think sometimes we fail to realize that it's okay to become an entrepreneur at age 30 or 40 or mm. 50 or 60, that it's okay if we're not born with it. And it's okay if you never had this dream from when you were age eight, that you can still start your own company at any point in your life because entrepreneurship could just be for you a little bit later than some of the big greats that we see right now. Mm, that's amazing. I mean, your story is one that is consistently um, challenging what would be considered the norms, which I love about. And that was probably one of the things that when I first kind of stumbled upon you, now let me share the story of how I stumbled upon you. Uh, it was like, I don't know, maybe 11 o'clock at night. I'm sitting on my phone as most people do, just scrolling mindlessly through social media and stumbled across your TikTok channel. And you were in the conversation at the time about there is this culture of this lean in culture. It's like hustle, you know, do everything you can. And you'd posted something about this idea like I think it's time to just like lean out a bit and boy did that like really press some people um <laughs> do you want to unpack that a bit they got really angry and I, it was funny I was just sort of playing around on TikTok it wasn't like I had any sort of strategy and it was just I I didn't really think much of it I just made the post I kind of put my phone down and I came back hours later and you know holy moly there's a lot of notifications on there and there were people from both sides of the aisle and I think anytime you're talking about leaning out of work or not going 100 percent it's it's a soft subject for people because some people are like you know kids these days they need to work hard you know I picked myself up by my bootstraps and, and that's true. We should absolutely have a really diligent, hardworking culture. But I think what we have now found with the access of email and cell phones and social media that maybe people didn't have uh, 30 years ago is that now work follows us everywhere. And as we've seen with the last two years in the pandemic, it's no longer I work from home. It's I live at work. And I think mm. that a lot of people realized, oh, I live at work because I can just answer this email at 11 p.m. Why not? The computer's right there on the kitchen table. I've been working from there all day anyways. What's the harm in sending one more email? 
And so I think what we really need to look at and unpack is what does it look like to lean out, especially if this has become the norm for so many of us to hustle hard, to send that last email at 10 p.m., to work over the weekends. How do we untangle ourselves from that? And people really, wow, it set off some fireworks. It still sets off fireworks. I, it still gets pushed out even a month later into the algorithm when people fighting in the comments that, you know, we need to work harder. And some people are saying, no, we don't. It's it's a really interesting phenomenon for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I just grabbed some popcorn and just sat in the comments for a little while and just watched the, the both sides of this argument go at it. And it's so, I mean, part of the, the conversation, especially you touched on it, which was really nice, is this transition from work to home and this kind of blurred lines between, uh, I'm living at home, but I'm also working at home. My office sometimes doesn't even have a door on it. So I never really know when I should go home from work, whatever home from work looks like. Um, it has become this really blurry line. Um, and I think what you've done, which is really nice, is to challenge us to go like, if we don't address some of the the blurred lines sooner, we have to deal with it later and it's going to hurt us down the track. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think what also really touched people in that TikTok in a very passionate way was, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a female and I started my company when I was 25. I'm now 36, so that was 11 years ago. I've, I'm still running the company with my amazing business partner, Abby. And I think as women, we can talk about equality all day long. We can advocate for equality all day long. But at the end of the day, I think what most people really don't want to face but but need to is, you know, I have a uterus. <laughs> and um, if I want to procreate and have tiny humans, then that is not something that I can necessarily put off until I'm 45. And of course, in the the non-nuance of social media, you will always get people who say, well, you know, my aunt had my cousin when she was 51. And, and what I always tell people is, yes, for every dozen stories there are of someone saying, well, my cousin had a baby at 42, I can show you on the other end dozens of stories of women who are 28, 30, 32 who are saying, I can't get pregnant, you know? So th so there's both yeah. ends of, of the spectrum, which as you know, on social media never really gets talked about. You just get both sides of the aisle screaming at each other. But I think that that's also important to touch on that as, as women at some point, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, you really have to look at the fact and say, I, I can be equal to Mark Cuban and Richard Branson and all these other people in so many ways, but at the end of the day, they can decide to have kids when they're 60 and I don't have that option. And so as much as science can tell us that maybe we can and, and maybe that's true, we sort of have to come to reality that at some point, if you do want those things, you have to lean out and make a decision to do that. Mm. I mean, such an interesting couple of points made there. One of them I think that really is an important one is that if let's say having children is a decision that you want to make and it's something that you see as part of your life and it's something that you're able to do at some point it still becomes a choice like there is a choice that you have to make and it's really really difficult to make big life decisions when you're caught up in the whirlwind of of you know that hustle culture or that lean-in culture that thing that is just continually kind of pushing you towards what's next and so 
I think what you do is is bring awareness to going, hey, if you were to just slow down for a moment now and reflect on some really big questions, you don't have to kind of get five, 10 years down the track and go, I missed my opportunity to reflect on the important questions because I was so caught up in whatever this culture was. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? 100%. And I think it's really taking a second to self-evaluate, what do I want? And I think sometimes for a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs and executives, you're so focused on the next, the next promotion, yeah. the next big client, the next revenue goal. Oh man, we hit 2 million in sales. Well, what if we hit 5 million in sales? And so you celebrate for like maybe an hour, like you get the ice cream cake and the balloons in the office and you're like, I got a promotion or we hit 2 million in revenue. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, but what's next? But what about yeah. the 5 million mark? But what about the next? And so I think because we're in this cycle of, What's next, what's next, what's next, what's next? It's never this stop moment of, well, what's enough? What's mm. enough or, or where would I be happiest? And so I think it's, it's a double-edged sword because that's what drives us and that's what makes mm. us you know, great leaders and entrepreneurs and executives, but it also can be something that we need to question about ourselves as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this balance between like, it's okay to have ambition, but not at the expense of who you are and your essence and, and ultimately the things that make us human, um, which are so many kind of core components of our relationships with other people and our friendships and our family and all the things that we, you know, help us to be more human. One of the things that you touched on, which I, I which was fascinating to me is obviously the last two years has completely disrupted our entire world. Um, and lots of people are starting to kind of reevaluate what their life looks like, what their work looks like. Um, and there's no doubt that kind of COVID has shifted the way that we engage with one another. What are some of the things that you've noticed? Um, I mean, you're based in the States. It's, it's very different over there than it is here in Australia, but there's some, obviously some similarities. What are some of the big shifts, changes, things that you've noticed when it comes to the pandemic and how it's changed work and business? I think that there are some universal truths. So there are some unique circumstances, you know, if somebody's in Paris, if somebody's in Sydney, if somebody's in New York, that of course, there's going to be nuances there, but I do think that there are some universal truths and some some are great and some are maybe something for us to think about a little harder. So something that could be great is, well, oh, it's so wonderful. We can all meet via Zoom. You know, I don't have to jump in a plane to go from Sydney to London for this big meeting. I can just hop on Zoom and not get on the airplane and not stay in the hotel. And, and that's wonderful. And people are getting their time back. But I think as we become hyper aware that we are able to meet people over video conference call or over the internet, the pendulum also goes the other way. That means a lot of times we're getting to know people in a digital space before we get to know them in a physical space. So it used to be, if you can kind of picture it in your mind, if you work in a corporate or an entrepreneurial environment when we were all back in the office, you might have a new employee or a new client that is coming in on a Tuesday and you think, oh, great, I'm going to meet Mark, the new employee on a Tuesday, or I'm going to meet Deshaun, our new client on the Tuesday when he comes in and you wait for that person to come in and you meet them. Now, when we're all on Zoom, you're saying, well, I don't want to just show up to a Zoom meeting and I don't know who I'm meeting. That's like showing up for a blind date. That's one thing that I always <laughs> ask any anytime I'm doing a keynote, I'm like, raise your hand that you would go to a blind date and truly not look up anything about that person. And of course, nobody raises their hand because everybody Googles 
who it is they're meeting. And everyone's response is the same. Well, you know, Kim, what if, what if that person's a serial killer? You know, I got to look up this person before I go meet them at the coffee shop. Or I always ask in keynotes, you know, raise your hand if you have kids. And of course, the parents raise their hand and I say, now, if you were to send them to school, do you Google the teacher? And of course, everybody raises their hand because they want to make sure that the teacher is not a questionable person. You know, who am I sending my kid with to hang out with for eight hours a day? And so what I've realized is that we we get to know uh, K-N-O-W people. And then based on what we find, we know them, N-O. So we see that research before we go on that blind date and we can go, oh, gosh, I don't like what I found. I, I'm going to cancel that blind date. That looks terrible. Or I, I don't like the look of this new babysitter. I, I don't think I'm going to hire her to watch my kid. And now that has transferred over to business where someone's going, oh, I looked up that new client that we're supposed to be on the Zoom with. Yeah, I don't think it's worth my time. I'm going to send my my associate to do that call instead of me. And so what people aren't realizing is that their Google results, like what's coming up about them on the internet has now become more important than ever as we become more digital. It was it was always sort of true, but I think like most things that COVID accelerated in our world, it accelerated it to another level. Oh my gosh, I, I love this because, um, so my first book that I wrote was called Lead the Room and it was all around how leaders can you know, essentially leverage a leadership platform, whether that's a stage or town hall to mobilize large groups of people. And the first section of the book is on on positioning, because most of the time when we focus on, say, speakers or you know leaders, we talk about messaging, which is around get your messaging right, get your messaging right. And we forget that the thing that sets up that messaging is your personal positioning as a leader, which is how do other people place you in their mind? And if you think about some of the biggest challenges, you could have someone who's got a really great message that's been undermined by really bad positioning. And uh, I was doing an interview once and someone said, you know, Shane, I've got to speak at a conference. What's the best way that I could build rapport and connection really quickly with people within those first couple of minutes in my keynote? And I thought about it and there's so many things that came to mind, right? Like you tell a story or you do all the things that you just know speakers do. And I just had that moment where I was like, actually, if you're waiting until the conference to do that, you've missed a huge window. You've actually missed it because people are already talking about you, learning about you, thinking about you long before they even show up in the room. And I kind of just tell people now, reputation speaks before you do, right? Reputation shows up, it has a conversation and then you show up and start speaking. And so it's such a really crucial part. I mean, a lot of people don't get it in terms of um, the importance of it. Why is it so, so critical for people to understand this? I think it's really critical for people to understand it because they don't realize that people are making decisions about it. So because we're not privy Amazing. to the decisions, you don't know what jobs that you've gotten passed over for. You don't know what promotions you've gotten passed. You don't know what awards or honors or accolades that you've gotten passed on because how would you know? If, if mm. there's someone in a conference room 10,000 miles from here, looking up your social media or looking up your LinkedIn or looking up your Google results and going, mm, this Shane guy, yeah, I don't think he's going to be a fit to keynote our conference. Well, then you're never going to get an email about keynoting the conference because they've already said no to you before they even know if you're a good fit because they've never spoken to you. And so we don't know how many opportunities that we're missing out on. And so I think that that is what the blind 
reaction is. But but something that I always try to tell people is think about how many times in a week you Google reviews of something. So maybe there's a new restaurant that your mom told you about. Oh, you got to go to this Italian restaurant. You got to go to this Italian restaurant. And you might say, oh, okay, mom, I'll try it. And then what do you do? You go, well, let me look at the menu. Let me go online and look at the menu. Let me look at TripAdvisor. Do, do other people, are other people, you know, judging this? But what do they think about it? And so when we see those reviews from other people, we're going, oh, okay, you know, it does look like it's going to be a delicious restaurant. And so really saying people are doing that for you in business as well. They're going on your mm. LinkedIn and saying, well, who are they? Who is Shane connected to? Who does Shane know that I also know? Is Shane, is Shane going to be a good fit for this conference? Or is Shane going to be a good fit for this award that we're thinking about giving him? People are doing that for more than just Italian restaurants. They're doing it in business all the time. Yeah. And confession time. I'm the person that will look up a hotel or a restaurant and I immediately filter by one star reviews. And I'm like, there could be 5,000 five-star reviews. And I'm just like, hey, this person here said that they had a really bad experience with their towels and I'll sit there and it will throw the whole thing into question for me. Maybe it's just me. I'm sure other people do that too, right? Absolutely. And I think what the <laughs> business version of that is, is think about if you, this is the example that I always give people as well. Let's imagine you were telling me that you're going to New York soon. So let's imagine that you have one free day in New York and there you have openings to have three meetings. You can meet up with three people, but there's five people that other friends or family members or business colleagues have said, Shane, you got to meet with these people. But remember, you only have three openings, even though there's five people. So what do you do? You look up the five people. And if one of those person, you, let's say you look them up on LinkedIn and there's no profile picture, or there is one, but it, you can realize, oh man, this hasn't been updated in like 10 years. And you don't have any connections with them. And you see that they're not connected to any sort of power players in your industry. Chances are that person is not going to make it into your top three people that you are going to have a meeting with in New York, even though that person could be phenomenal. They could be the, the best person that you should meet with and the person that's going to catapult your business. But when we're, when we're short on time, which we all are, when we're all in a rush, which we all are, that has become our de facto of, well, let me just look this up. Let me see if this sort of checks out. Let me give it a once over. And if it does, I'll go for it. And if it doesn't, I won't. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is simple things like updating your LinkedIn profile, making sure that you're connected to people. It's become no longer a nice to have. And instead it's become a need to have. Yeah, it really has. I remember doing a workshop once with a group of people who were now, um, uh, public sector here, which is all of our government employees. And there was one man in the course who said to me, Shane, obviously it sounds great. I like all this stuff, but it's not me. It's just not me. I don't do the yeah. social thing. I don't do the online thing. It's not me. And my question to him was, oh, okay, that's totally fine. So what is you? And he was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, that's not me. That You said that's not me. I was like, so what is you? And he was like, well, I, I, I don't know. And I was like, okay, so let's just kind of pause that for a moment. Let's look online and let's find you. <laughs> and, you know, you go on there and you find like a travel blog from 2007 that was never deleted, or you find like an open Facebook profile that's all about their hobbies and their interests, or you find a newspaper article. I was working with someone 
who happened to share a name with the actor who has now gone on to be kind of like a tantric sex worker, which is kind of a wild career transition, but they shared a name. And so I was like, you don't have anything online, but I tell you what, my first thing that shows up for for your name is this here. And so, I I don't know, like you can say it's not my thing, but the truth is someone will find something about you. I mean, is it the true crime era? Is that why we're becoming so good at like finding things about people? We're, We're kind of pretty professional stalkers, aren't we? We really are. And I think it's, again, going back to the hustle culture, I think it's because we've also had to optimize our time, right? I have not heard anyone lately who says, I'm bored at work, or, oh, I have so much free time at work. (laughs) No one says that. Everyone says, oh my gosh, work is so busy. Oh man, I feel like I end each Friday. And instead of being done with my to-do list, it's, it's gotten longer since Monday. So we have become more jam-packed and more busy and more overworked than we ever have before. And so we've had to become really resourceful with our time, which means guarding it like crazy, which means we don't want to waste time on someone that we think isn't going to be of value to us. And I know that that's Mm -hmm. sort of harsh to say out loud, but I think if we really admitted it to ourselves, that's the truth. We we really, that's why we're looking people up. That's why we're doing our research because we want to know at the end of the day, is this going to be worth my time? Yeah. So super valuable. One of the quotes I loved, Beck Brown runs the, the comms department here in Australia. It's a PR company and she was on my podcast a couple of seasons ago. And she said this quote that I absolutely love. She said, we're not responsible for what other people think about us but we are responsible for the story that we project to the world and the story that we tell to the world. And I think so much of what we, we, when we talk about positioning, we sit there and go, oh, well, I mean, I can't control what other people think. And I'm like, well, actually you can influence it. And you know, I talk about as leading your narrative and taking responsibility for your narrative, uh, which is what does my LinkedIn say? What does my website say? What does my Facebook, you know, say about me? What does everything kind of say about me? And we've kind of, I guess what I love about your perspective on this is that we could be potentially missing out on things without any any kind of awareness that we're missing out on it purely because of something that we've left online or, or done somewhere. And so I'd love to get like super practical with this for people who are going, oh my gosh, like I recognize I'm really bad with social media. I'm, I, I don't want to go out and hire a personal branding person. Like I, ju- like I just want to start somewhere. I mean, what are some of the practical things that we could even be thinking about or starting to do? Listen, I, I love a good lazy option. I don't want to do extra work <laughs> going back to not having extra time. What do they say? What's the quote? Um, give something to a lazy person. They'll find the fastest way to do it. That like, that's me. <laughs> like whatever the fastest way is, I, I always want the lazy option. So for me, I, I'll give two pieces of advice. Number one, when people say, where do I start? My go-to is always LinkedIn. Why? Number one, it's the oldest social media platform. It is 18 years old. It is older than Facebook, Instagram, all of these other social media platforms. LinkedIn is the oldest. Why is that important? That is important because it has had 18 years of Google crawling it to pick up everything. It will be number one in search results for you no matter what because Mm. it has had 18 years to have Google crawling its API and backend. So that is number one, LinkedIn is going to be your lazy go-to resource. 
if I could ask for like two lazy bangs for people, you can go to helpmylinkedin.com. I put together five things. You can do it in like 30 minutes or less. Yeah, it's totally free. I, I'm so sick of seeing ugly profiles on LinkedIn. I'm so sick of seeing really shabby looking things that are doing no good for anyone. So I would say go to help my LinkedIn, download those five tips, implement them immediately. It takes like 30 minutes or less. And that gets you to what I call baseline. Are you going to be a superstar with those five things? No. But are you going to be embarrassing? Also, no. So I just want to get you to like the not embarrassing level. Like if we can just get two socks on your feet that match, I don't even care if you have shoes on. Just just get two matching socks and and we'll go from there. And I think once you have those two matching socks, if you're feeling like, all right, I, let's put on some snazzy shoes, I would say to turn on LinkedIn's new creator mode. Basically, what it does is unlocks all these super cool new features. And while LinkedIn hasn't publicly reported this, I will say just from what I have seen on the inside, you do seem to get favored in search results and algorithm results when you turn it on. And so if you go to turnoncreatormode.com, I put together like a 15-minute step-by-step video. I actually made my mom do it because I wanted to make sure it was as easy as possible. Like I literally say, go in the right-hand side and click this button because I was like, I want no excuses for people not to do this. So there is a really easy 15-minute step-by-step instructional video of me telling you how to turn it on, what to do, and that's on turnoncreatormode.com. So those are my two kind of most lazy suggestions. And I, I would say start there. Don't even worry about all the bells and whistles because you'll probably get overwhelmed. That would just be my like starting baseline. That's so helpful. I mean, even when it comes to LinkedIn, people think to themselves, oh, I just don't have the time to sit down and post every day and come up with all this content. And even at the bare minimum, if you could just have a static page that just even in your LinkedIn bio describes you the way that you'd like to be described, it can make such a difference for people, right? Oh, I mean, people are going to be looking you up on LinkedIn. The, the kind of phrase that I always say is they're going to be looking you up in one of two ways. And they're either going to find whatever is there by default. So whatever you put on your LinkedIn five years ago with you holding a beer and you're in university and you thought it was such a funny picture or whatever they're going to land on is by design. It's either going to be default or design. So why not have it be designed? Why not say, what would I want people to see? What would I want people to land on? It's amazing to me, honestly, that if you invited people over to your house, you would never have your dirty underwear on the couch. You would never have your dirty socks at the front door. You would clean it up before people came over because you'd be like, I don't want them to come in my house and have to look at my dirty underwear, dirty socks everywhere. And so it's amazing to me that in business, people will land on your LinkedIn and you have like dirty underwear everywhere. It's like, clean that up, like make it look a little better. You, you're, you're looking crazy. I love that metaphor. I mean, people are going to be walking around looking at their LinkedIn profile for dirty underwear now. Um, if you yeah. were to kind of give some some things like what what's the dirty underwear of LinkedIn? What's the stuff that you want to try to be aware of that can kind of position you in a really unhelpful way. I'll give you my five worst 
felonies that I see on LinkedIn, number one, no profile picture. That's just mirrored. I, th I think it's like an egg head that you get as a default. That's just bizarre. <laughs> Nobody wants to see an egg head. So that's number one. Number two, I've seen profile pictures where there's two people or sometimes even three people, like it's a group shot. And I'm thinking, well, which one's you? <laughs> like, okay, Mark Tan, which one of you is this? Because there's three people in the picture. So that's number two. I would say number three, anybody who hasn't updated their LinkedIn, like if it looks like, okay, they haven't done anything since university, that's strange. Like they've been in the workforce for 15 years. What have they been doing? So I would say that's kind of the number three no-no that I hate to see. Um, number four for me would be if they don't have a banner profile, it's just such prime real estate and LinkedIn makes it really easy right now to put one of those in. So that to me just shows like you're lazy. Well, either you're lazy or you're unimaginative. I don't want to meet unimaginative people and I don't want to meet lazy people. Well, I do if I want them to do something, but most of the time I want people <laughs> to be like at least somewhat not lazy or not as lazy as me. And then last but not least, I think the one thing that I really find on LinkedIn that just drives me absolutely bonkers is when people don't put anything in their about section or they put like one sentence, you know, Kim Cow graduated from the University of Florida period. And then that's it. And I'm like, really? That's, that's <laughs> what the happened whole then? story about you? Uh, it's like, come on, guys, put together a few sentences. Maybe it's about intrigue. Maybe it's the hook. Maybe they're like, tell me everything, but I, I'm only going to give you a little bit of a taste. It doesn't could, work like that, does that it? It could be, but I need a little <laughs> bit more of it. I need a little bit more of a taste. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would add to the to the sixth one would be um, on the same vein as the profile picture, making sure your profile picture is a recent picture. The amount of people that I've met up with and they've got this photo that they absolutely love, but it was like 15 years ago. And they just look... To, to their defense, it was a good photo and I would give them that, that it was a great photo. It just doesn't look anything like them in real life. And so I'm sitting at a separate table from this person waiting for them to show up to my meeting, realizing they're sitting right beside me because their profile photo on LinkedIn was not what I looked up. You know what I call that? I, I totally agree with you. I call it the coffee shop test, which is if I'm running into a meeting and I'm going to meet Shane in a coffee shop, pr probably I get out of my car and I'm you know going up to the coffee shop and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't know what the heck Shane looks like. And so I pull up his LinkedIn and I touch it. And when I'm scanning that coffee shop, can I look down at my phone, look up at the coffee shop, look down at my phone, look back up and find you? And if the answer to that is no, you need to change your picture. So if you used to have <laughs> long hair and now you have short hair, if you used to have blonde hair and now you have brown hair, you know, if you, if you used to wear glasses, but now you don't, Am I going to be able to find you quickly? And if I can't mm -hmm. find you in the coffee shop, then exactly what you said is going to happen. We're going to end up at two different tables and not find each other. Kim, I'm absolutely loving this conversation. <laughs> uh, for me, it's taken such an interesting perspective because really, um, if we look at the last couple of years, one of the things that I'm learning and not necessarily um, for the first time, but it's being reinforced every day is that anonymity has become this lost luxury. I mean, once upon a time, you used to be able to kind of go off grid and be anonymous, but the reality is we don't have that luxury anymore. 
everybody can find us in some way, um, whether it's online, through other people as well, which we haven't really talked about, but we, our reputation with other people uh, can position us in the minds of people. And if we could just get a little bit more intentional with that, and we don't have to go over the top, it's just being more intentional with how we show up online, what our LinkedIn says about us, we can actually start to position ourselves in a better way, which can help so many different areas, how we show up in relationships, how other people um, you know, see us for opportunities, uh, just the, the way that we can connect with a larger audience of people, it can really impact us in a whole lot of different ways. Um, and I guess if I was to give you like a little soapbox to stand on right now for this whole topic and in like 30 or 60 seconds, do you just go like, all right, I'm going to speak directly to the people listening right now. I'm going to get a little bit preachy for a moment. What would you be saying to these people about this topic we've talked about? I would say, I think what's so hard for us, I just have to address this first. I think what's so hard is just like you and I were born and we remember what life was like before cell phones. And we also remember what life is like after cell phones. So we have a very unique mm. view because we remember what it's like before. Whereas somebody who might be, let's call 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, they've, they don't know life, you know, before cell phones. They, they don't have that experience. They don't understand. They're like, what's a fax machine? You know, they have no concept of, of what that world was like. And so what I think what's hard in business is you have people that are very successful, whether that is. Richard Branson, um, Mark Cuban, any of these, Elon Musk, any of these amazing Jeff Bezos. And you say, well, they don't have to have social media. You know, Mark Cuban doesn't have to have a TikTok. So why do I have to have a TikTok? Or, you know, Richard Branson doesn't have to post on LinkedIn. Why do I have to post on LinkedIn? And what I think is really unique that's happening in this time period is that the people who were able to get ahead enough in their jobs before social media took over. So you might be working somewhere right now where there is an SVP, a senior vice president or a CEO or a COO. And you go, man, the COO of my company, Kim, he doesn't even have a LinkedIn or the CEO of my company. He hasn't updated his LinkedIn in five years. And to that, I say they've reached a point in their career where they are established enough and they were established enough before the day and age of social media that now it's almost like they don't need it. They do need it because they should always be trying to get better. But of course, they're not going to lose their jobs maybe or lose out on an opportunity because they've kind of become, I don't want to say infamous, but people know them in the space without we all know who Elon Musk is. He doesn't need to post on Twitter for us to know who he is. And so what I think is unique and what I say to people is if you're like under the age of 60, <laughs> this applies to you because you are not established enough in the days before social media to really think about this. And so I think it's also a little bit of ageism too. And on the back end, really you have to think about this because if you are a 55-year-old who's really awesome at their job well, there's some 25-year-old who might be just as awesome at that marketing job as you are because they've grown up with this stuff. And so it's important for you to show up the best you can online for these opportunities or awards or accolades or presentations or meetings or job opportunities because you are, I don't want to say it's an unfair fight, but I think it, this is something, I don't know if you think about this, Shane, but I think about it all the time is, you know, I'm, 36 years old and I constantly feel like I'm having to stay up to date on what's going on. And for some of these people that are 18, 19, 20, 
it's instantaneous for them. It, it doesn't take them an hour like it takes me because this is all they know. And so I don't know, that's, that's very soapboxy and also a little bit um, esoteric of an answer, but I think it's something that I think about a lot. Yes, you can drop the mic and you can walk away. That was absolutely brilliant. It, it is true because, I mean, we're, we're dealing with what, you know, they call them digital natives because in so much of the online territory, it's native country for them. They walk around like they know it, that they understand it. Whereas other people, you're almost like a tourist in this place and you're trying to navigate your way around and it takes a little bit of extra time, but super, super helpful. Um, the thing that I always say to people is everything that you do says something about you. Everything from your, the way you show up online, from the way that you treat the receptionist to the way that you treat your waiter in the, in, the, in the cafe, everything you do says something about you. Just be intentional and, and show up the way that you'd like to be known ultimately, which I think is a bit of a Dolly Parton quote. She said, figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. Good old Dolly always comes out with the zingers. <laughs> so good. What an icon. Absolute icon. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. And the irony of all of this is that you, have, you and I have actually never met. And the way that this opportunity came up is because of your online social media and the way that you kind of show up there. And so to full kind of close that circle, um, it, it really does help in a big way. And so thank you so much for taking time to join me on the podcast. I love it. It's such a full circle moment. And hopefully that doesn't stay the case for long and we can be in real life sooner rather than later. Agreed. What's the best way for people to connect with you, learn about what you do and how you can help people? Because you really do help people in this space of showing up in a, in a really helpful way online. Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? I'm, I'm Kim Kelp on all the social media platforms. And here's a handy way to remember it. And, and I always like telling the story because I think it's quite funny. If you open up your Instagram right now and you start typing in K-I-M-K-A- the first person that's going to pop up is Kim Kardashian, right? Because because Instagram already thinks that the next thing you're going to do is either going to you're going to hit the R. I'm right under her usually for most people because um, mine is K A U instead of K A R, and so I always say you're going to see two Kim K's. One has her clothes off, and one has her clothes on, and I'm the Kim K with her clothes on. So if you start typing in K-I-M-K-A, find the one with the clothes on, that one's me, Kim Kelp. <laughs> I, I'm going to go back and re-record your intro and I'm going to say it's Kim K with the clothes on. Kim K with the clothes on. And make sure that's on. very, very clear and articulate. <laughs> it's true because sometimes you say, oh, if some people are Kim K, well, whoa, oh, no, 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 clothes on. Second one, second one. Kim, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.